What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> the sun shifted. It got really warm, and Sunday night we smoked them. So, and then Monday, yesterday, I thought it'd be good, and it was me. So, huh. so. Well, let's just get it started. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast. Lee McClellan, co-host of the podcast. How is everyone? And then today, Joe McDermott. And Joe, what's your title? I'm a deer and elk program biologist. Deer and elk program biologist, but you do a lot more than that. I mean, I ran into you on the salt two weeks ago, catching the white bass. Uh, I think you said you've taken off since then from, from fishing just to strictly turkey hunt all the time? Pretty much, yeah. So, so, I mean, aside from being a deer and elk biologist, you're also an avid outdoorsman. And I'll tell you what, I hate to break away from that right now, but I heard a mower go by a second ago. <laughs> and course. it's this time of year, I literally, when I first stepped foot in this room, I looked out the window at the grass and I said, you know, that looks pretty well mowed. That mm-hmm. looks pretty well cut, so we shouldn't have any issues today. But I'd almost... They'll no. be by the window in about oh, yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah, I don't know. That, 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 once and then they'll weedy by the window 10 minutes after that. Yeah, but hopefully hopefully we'll get lucky. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But So anyway, I kind of wanted to talk about turkey hunting a little bit because that's obviously what's in season. Joe's mm-hmm. been doing a lot of it. I'm ashamed to say I've only been turkey hunting one time so far this year, but I've only had two days off work, and one of those two days was a recovery from a wedding type of day, and the other one of those days was was Easter. So I had family stuff going on. I probably could have found one or two mornings I could have taken and gone. But, I mean, it's rained quite a bit, too, over the past little bit. But I will get back out there, and I will get after another one. So one tag left to punch. Have you killed a turkey yet? I've got one so far, yeah. One so far. And I think Lee told me a minute ago that you were on one this morning before work or before the podcast. But this was originally scheduled for four hours ago and i was somewhere else so you i guess had to break away from that bird and come in here for no reason so my apologies i'm oh, sorry happy to be here yeah i um well the one turkey that you did harvest how, how did you do it did you reap it did you call it in or a little combination of both really? um he set up he just wanted to not really respond to calls he would gobble but he would not come mm-hmm. to you at all uh he was strutting this open area and along a creek bottom uh-huh. um we sat there and tried to work in. There were a couple other birds that were close that, that shut up, never came in. So we moved up about 300 yards, um, trying to push his comfort zone a little mm-hmm. bit. I was able to set up, and I could see him strutting probably 80 yards out through some brush. And he didn't really want to come in for a while. So I had, thankfully, I had a buddy with me. Um, and he would sit there and cut every so often to keep the bird kind of gobbling so I could tell where he was. And I snuck down over a creek bank. Yeah cut about 30 yards on him huh. and then he decided to actually start walking up to the decoy and i shot him at 10 steps oh, so 10 steps that's not bad at all yeah mm-hmm. that's never kind of... never flopped once first bird i've ever seen do that really just feel stone cold dead yeah normally i feel like it's normally a reaction for him to flop even if they are stone cold dead usually you still see him kicking mm-hmm. dirty he just dropped full strut to dead that's kind of similar to how my turkey hunt went down i went opening morning and i always like hunting near the creeks and you know, I've, I've known this because I've hunted near the creeks for turkeys for a long time. I'm sure you do, too, since it sounds like you hunt somewhere with a big creek. But you can get down in those creek banks and work around that field without mm-hmm. ever being seen. It's one of the best advantages, I think, to the farm I hunt because it's basically a big, wide-open field with a, about a 30-yard wood line all the way around it with a big creek that horseshoes the field. So if I get in there and I set up on a spot, I think it's going to be good, and that bird shows up 200 yards away, and he won't come to me. Well, typically, I can find a way to work my, my way around to him without ever being seen. And that's what I did this year. I mean, I set up on a bird that was just gobbling his head off on the roost. He pitched down in front of me. He's out there at about 80 yards. 
And then all of a sudden other birds start showing up in the field. And this one Tom was out there in the middle and he had eight hens just surrounding him. He was just strutting, strutting, strutting right in the middle. And these hens just would not leave him. Eventually, two more Toms showed up on the other side of the field. And then it's like the three Toms that were individuals were were chasing each other around and fighting with each other. And the one Tom just controlled the hens the whole time. And then finally, after those other three Toms had kind of established like a dominance, I guess, because, I mean, they ran up on each other and this one whooped the other one. And then the other Tom got whooped by the other one. And once that one Tom had whooped the other two, he finally made a move on that Tom that had all those hens. And this was over the course of like three hours. So it was kind of cool to get to see how the turkeys were just acting, you know, by themselves. Because it's not very often you get to sit and watch the Toms go at each other like that. And then another Tom just be completely dominant. And what I saw was uh, when they started running each other around like that, when the, the big Tom with the hens, his hens started breaking off and going into the woods. And as that was happening, that's when some of the one of the other Toms came over and approached him. And I could kind of see the direction that they were all running each other towards. And so I just got down that creek bank and I made a move about 100 yards and I got myself in that, that stretch of woods where they were kind of working their way towards. And it was just a matter of 15 minutes before one of them showed up. And it happened to be the bird I set up on originally. So I was pretty happy. There was a Tom out there, I swear it was charcoal black. I mean, its fan was the color of that padding on that door right there. I really wanted him. So if I go back, that's going to be the one I want, but I'm not picky when it comes to turkey hunting. If it's got a full beard, a full fan, it's going to get a full face, full lit. I'll shoot Jake. <laughs> yeah, really? It doesn't bother me one bit. Well, last podcast I did was with Nathan Brooks, and he kind of wrote me into something. Because I always say I'm going to – I always take the first one with the shotgun, and then I go out there with my bow. And that's how I try to fill my second tag. But I, that's why I never fill my second tag is because bow hunting turkeys is really hard. And um, he said that on the podcast, and I agreed to it. So now I guess I'm stuck taking my bow out there, and I, I'm not going to have – I mean, it's – it's still fun. It's almost the same range. I mean, you're looking at, I mean, I, I would prefer to have one within 25 yards with my bow. You're talking about 40 yards with a shotgun, so it's not that much different. But your your room for air is so much greater with the shotgun. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You ever? You haven't been out turkey on this year, have you? Not yet. I'm right. hoping to get down to my brother's. You should. He's, he's got excellent population. He's only got 40 acres. That's down it's, near. It's um, what a lot of people call a. Uh, persimmon knob and cream ridge it's just outside of junction on 300 going toward mitchellsburg down near lebanon um kind of going toward lebanon but like on the boyle lincoln marion county okay region there. that's a really good area yeah it's down, beautiful yeah there's i mean that's not too far from st catherine which is kind of what i know down there mm-hmm. and that's in lebanon of course and then marion county is just south of it right well St. Catharines near Springfield, and the Marion County is south of, of Washington yeah. County. Yeah. We filmed a, uh, I said almost a coyote hunt because I mean, not, it's amazing how many coyotes come in when you're turkey hunting. That mm-hmm. morning I was talking about two coyotes putting the stalk on the turkeys, and mm-hmm. I mean, I switched out my, I carry buckshot in my backpack just in case I happen to see a coyote. And I mean, I switched those loads out, so I had three and a half inch buckshot loads in my shotgun when I, those coyotes were coming towards me, but I knew I wasn't going to get a shot because they literally had to cross the path that I walked in on to get to me, and there's just no way a coyote. I mean, they they can smell you. Of, I mean, like my beagle. I know my beagle can smell a squirrel two days old mm-hmm. on the ground. I'm, I can only imagine I smell more than a squirrel walking around. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now I probably definitely do because, well, trust me, I do. Don't don't breathe through your nose, guys. Keep. You know, <laughs> I, I think that breathing through your mouth on a podcast is probably a no-no. But that's something you might want to do today. <laughs> Let's see, Joe. A minute ago, I asked you what your position was, right? Deer and elk biologist. So what are some things that you're doing or that you guys do this time of year that deal with deer and elk? 
I've seen some videos before. And if somebody wants to, there's a video of you on uh, the Kentucky Field Facebook page and the YouTube page if you look at the fawn capture and or deer capture. And you're the guy that's diving on top of that deer in the in the cage. You've got you guys trapped a deer out there and you dove on top of it. And that video goes into detail about some of the stuff you guys do. But I mean, like right now, what kind of stuff are you out there doing? Uh, right now, what we're doing, um, particularly for elk, we're um, we're just kind of revamped our whole elk hunting system mm-hmm. uh, we're kind of going away from the old at large lea system and going more into this uh, elk hunting unit um, just trying to better distribute the hunting pressure across the zone um, you know you had a risk for potential localized over harvest when you have the at large area um, some guys will tend to flock to a few places especially when you have relatively limited public land um, and this system right here will allow people to be more more distributed uh, and it's also a little less overwhelming for them. You yeah. know, when you tell them there's 4.1 million acres out here, you can hunt about, you know, mm-hmm. anything you get permission on or any public. First thing everybody does is goes, oh my gosh, where do I go? That's that's huge. Yeah. So this kind of helps them refine where they're hunting. Um, and we're working through a lot of that stuff right now, uh, pulling together a bunch of old harvest data uh, from the previous season where, you know, we published a series of annual reports that we're working on around this time. Um, you know, we do our elk report, kind of talks about our general um, you know, just the general season, anything that's new, um, how it went. We do a, an annual hunter survey. We're compiling all the data. I'm going to publish that here soon. So, so quick question. Because, uh, and you can still put in for the draw through the end of this month, right? Yep, to the last day in April. Okay, I put in for, I did the archery um, draws. I can't remember. There's three options this year. I think that it's a combined archery, right? Yep, we went to either sex archery this okay, year. Okay, so you, you can either put in for a bull firearm, a cow firearm, or an either sex archery. And those either sex archery tags are going to be distributed at random to whoever wins them, but, but one number of bulls are going to be given out randomly to those winners, and one number a number of cows are going to be given out, right? It's not 50-50, is it? For archery? Yes. No, the way the archery permit works, okay. it's either sex archery, so you're allowed to kill one elk, but it may be of either sex. So you get the choice. You get the choice, oh. and that's something, you know, we try right. to listen to what the hunters talk about. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things that a lot of guys complain about is that, you know, they're restricted to just a bull archery tag or a cow archery tag, um, and, you know, they'll be out hunting and say, man, if I could have just yeah. had the chance to shoot a cow, I would have been happy to do it. I only, you know, I can never get on bulls, but her cows are vice versa. Yeah. And um, we're also allowing that either six archery tag. Like the season's definitely been restricted, um, which we can go into a little bit later. But it opens up in the beginning of the of the rut, just like the historical uh, bull archery tag did. So this gives people just a better chance to get out yeah. and, and, and harvest something. Um, so, yeah, I was gonna say it should increase your chances if you're an archery hunter because you're you know you've. You're not limited to you know just a bull or just a cow. You can literally just mm-hmm. go out there and hunt them just like you would a deer. Yep. You get one, but it can be whatever. So I mean that that's actually pretty exciting for me. Say that in the in the off chance that I do get drawn, now I, I don't necessarily have to think about finding the cows or finding a bull. I can just go hunt the sign basically. And if something walks by, if a bull mm-hmm. walks by, I can take it. And if I want to try to hold out and say you know I want a bigger bull on the last day of the hunt, a cow comes by, I can I can take that and not go home empty-handed. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. So as far as what you were talking about a second ago with going away from the, the LEA systems, right? Yep. Say I get drawn this year, which I pro- I'm most definitely probably not going to. What? Because odds are like 1 in 70, right? Uh, so it's kind of hard to predict what they'll be this year uh-huh. because, you know, we, we used to have the four permit types where you had bull archery and cow archery. You know, bull archery at that time was like 
one in 68, one in 75 roundish uh -huh. for residents, one in 12 to 15, something like that for residents for cow archery, depending really? on the year. You know, I can't predict what it's going to yeah. be for an either sex permit. I would su suspect there's going to be a lot higher demand, um, but I, I would, you know, I would think it'd be somewhat close to what it would be for the bull archery permit. Maybe so right around 165, 170 ballpark. Well, I mean, my guess would probably yeah. be, but we won't know until May when the the results are in. See, that's one of those things that always gets me. Here, these people talking about. I put in every year. I put in every year. Oh, how many years has that been? Twenty. 2001 was the first time mm -hmm. so i was there so 18 19 years now mm -hmm. um so even if you had put in every year which only like 160 people have or something like that right the number is a little bit smaller than that now I is think it? we're floating about 110 something so, like so that. so there's 110 people who actually have put in every year and then the thing is with one in 60 odds or one in whatever they are okay even if you put in every year you'd still have been lucky to have gotten drawn Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, you would honestly need a, a 1 in 19 chance to think that it's, you know, to have an expectation of, okay, I should have been drawn at some point by now. But, I mean, that's it. you're lucky if you've been drawn for, for an elk tag. And, I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to. People don't understand what the chances are versus how many people have actually been. I bet you I've heard more people tell me they've put in every year than actually have put in every oh, yeah. year. It's like every one of those people in the state must have talked to me at some mm -hmm. point in time because – that's what everybody says, right? Yeah, a lot of folks say it, but and you know you do hear quite a few critiques on it. they want preference point systems yeah. well, that no, are that's bonus. A... But if you really look at it, and we were to start that, even if we started then with the limited number of tags we offer, yep. um, you're the odds or the chances that you're 100 percent ever going to get drawn. You know, for the bull tag that everybody wants, the bull firearm tag, or it'll never happen. And mathematically, it will not work out. And yeah. all it's really going to do is create a serious disadvantage for new hunters mm -hmm. um you know think about your kids who are, are growing up not eligible to apply yet but soon they would be if we had a preference point system they would be 15 18 points behind right now mm -hmm. and never have a chance yeah. or your grandkids or what about like these adult onset hunters these guys are picking up later in life and want to get out and experience it i mean they would they would never have a chance either yeah um so this you know it does have some downsides but um we believe it's the most fair way and that's that comes back to the numbers too because i've heard that same thing preference points and i talked to gabe jenkins about it a little bit and i mean the reason that it doesn't work out mathematically is because like i said say one and i'm just throwing this number out there it's probably not perfect but say one in 60 people who are putting in for the elk permit right now get drawn right mm -hmm. well that would in a way create a down the down the line that would almost create like a 60 year waiting period mm -hmm. if you're looking at one in 60 and you're building up preference points there would be no chance if, if you're if you started putting your grandkids in for the elk draw the day they were born by the time they were a senior citizen they might the preference points might catch up and work for them and so, then at that time you you would also still have because I mean, we have thirty-five thousand applicants that apply for it every year you would likely end up with a, a large component of people who sit at max points and still never get drawn like yeah. look at mm -hmm. some of the big game draws out west like for for go excuse me goat bighorn sheep moose um and there's tons and tons of guys in the max points pool who are likely never going to get drawn still yeah hmm. i like the way we do it i'm not complaining at all but uh, you it's know, frustrating so that's some of the stuff you know here. well, well <laughs> ultimately what we would need are less people putting in or more elk available but you got to protect the elk herd i mean that's part of your job is protecting the resources and managing them right and that's where you get the harvest numbers that's where you get the number of tags that are available is, is all that right and that's that's part of the reason why um 
some of the old permits were reduced to uh, try to facilitate that growth. I think it went from 700 to 565 or something general or at-large permits. Man, you know, I should know this, but off the top of my head, I cannot remember I think the it's exact a rough, number. It's either from 700 to 565 or from 700 to 595, but I know it's like an upper 500 yeah, number yeah, now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's right around that, that 590, 600 mark. But uh, another mm-hmm. interesting thing about this year is uh, we did really increase the number of youth permits available. Okay. Uh, they had traditionally been set at 10, mm-hmm. and uh, now this year will be 25 youth permits available. Oh. Um, so best time for the kids to apply to they can put in for you know the regular draws the cow farm bull farm either sex archery uh, or crossbow and they can also put in for the youth permit so is that any youth under 16 15 and under basically yep, yep. the same same standards as, okay. as everything else so as far as that goes and like like a, just to transition a little bit you were talking about um the number of permits available and that obviously has to do with what you guys are finding out what you know about the elk population right mm-hmm. so are you out there doing some stuff in the field right now maybe getting counts it's probably a harder time of the year to do that isn't it right now we don't typically do as many counts um we we tend to do counts in the fall in the like cow calf counts yeah. um and we do a lot more of them in the summertime too uh-huh. um just based on their behavior are I mean, they are they birthing right now no not just yet it'll be late may first of june okay like th- that kind of bell curve pretty much the peak is the last week of may first week of june now do you do vit stuff with uh i IV, what is it what's it's the a vit a vaginal yeah. implant transmitter uh-huh. like similar to what you saw on the fawn capture and so thing. the way that works describe that for me real quick if you don't care yeah a vaginal implant transmitter it's um it looks kind of like a t uh, it's got at the top of it it's got uh, collapsible wings and at the bottom it's got an antenna and uh, you'll use an applicator, insert it into a pregnant um, cow, elk. cow elk or a, uh, a doe, and <clears throat> it's, it kind of works like a radio station. So each one of those VITs emits its own frequency, and it's just like you can in a car. You can you know tune directly to that station. Well, I can use my equipment and tune directly to that VIT station. and. Um, based off the signal it gives me i can determine whether or not it's still in the animal or if it's been expelled and uh, the calf's born so as a calf or a fawn is born that vit gets pushed out on the ground i can then you know tell that it's been pushed out based off the signal that i hear and then i can walk up to it and find it find the birth site and find where the calf or the the deer fawns were so does a as an elk calf work pretty much like a deer uh fawn works i mean do they come out almost scentless because that's what happens with deer yeah, and they stay, stay in one spot i mean they're both deer species so yeah, same concept. i think a lot of, and of course it's almost time for the for the deer to start dropping you're going to do that as well so you'll go out there you'll capture the pregnant um cow elk or her deer doe doe deer that's weird to say doe deer <laughs> yeah. does i'm just gonna say does and you'll you'll use that and then you'll find the uh the <clears throat> calf or the fawn and then what do you do from there well we're not actually doing that currently we're okay but that's something to, that has been done yes we're hoping to videos. do that for elk again here very soon um, but we've done a pilot study with elk calves uh, where we put those in just kind of like a feasibility study to see if the technology will work because a lot of places where this is developed and used it's much more open country than what we see in east kentucky uh-huh. um, this is a lot more challenging place to to do telemetry than than most areas but um we have done it pretty extensively on deer that's what i did for my masters um that's why you saw me tackling that deer in a cage that's why you saw me uh picking up fawns in the wood or on in the field with um chad um you know we caught 104 fawns that way yeah 
Um, and but those, once we catch them, yeah. first thing I do is, you know, I, I try to I put my gloves on. I try to be scent free as possible. Um, I'll immediately handle the animal, put a blindfold on it to just kind of calm it down. I mean, they don't really move a lot. But once you get to about that 10, 12 day old stage, like a random one you catch, those little suckers are fast and they can move. <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll blindfold it just to make sure it's calm kind of take it away from where it's hiding so I don't really influence the area too much because it's obviously picked this area for a reason. Um, and then I'll put a collar on it, which similar to the VIT, it has its own radio station that I can listen to and determine if it's dead or alive. And I'll put a couple identifiers in it on, you know, um, a tag. small little ear tag, um, take a few body measurements and, and turn it loose. Male, female, obviously. Yep, yep, sex. Yep, that's part of the body measurement I should have okay, clarified. Yeah. But, um, you know, we do that, and then we throughout the course of the next six to nine months, we'll study them, see how many live and die, what's killing them. Um, but, yeah, that we've we finished that project, my master's work up in 2016. Roughly what is the survival rate of a fawn to one year? Do you know? Uh, it really varies uh, pretty drastically across the, the range. I mean, yeah. obviously, white-tailed deer range is huge, but it's it's typically a lot lower in the southeastern U.S., and much higher in the northern states. See, I thought that would have been opposite because just due to winter, you know, the, yeah. the climate, and it seems like uh, the harsher conditions would be in the north in the winter. I, I would have thought it was the opposite, and that would have been uh, that would have caused more deaths to occur than than in the south. But does the heat take a toll on them in the summer? Or? It's a, a lot of it's um, predation uh, driven okay. uh, instances. Um, you know whether it's coyote or, or fox. I mean, heck, they had a they had a paper where ants were killing fawns. I mean, everything wants to eat a deer fawn. Ants. Yeah, red ants in Florida. Mm. Um, but our, our what I found in my study in uh, eastern Kentucky was a 43% survival rate to uh, recruitment. Now those collars that I was telling you about, they they they'll they'll come off. They're only really made to last about nine months. But if a fawn encounters barbed wire, like you see on all these little woodlots and private farms mm -hmm. in Kentucky, um, they can shed, um, and they just the material will degrade over time. I think the, the the climate here is a little wetter. Like I said, some of these things are developed other places where it's a little drier. Uh -huh. The wetter climate tended to let ours come off, so um, we ended up taking our animals, studying them to what we call recruitment, which was the start of the hunting season. Okay. Um, okay. So you said 43%, so just a little under half, and that was in eastern Kentucky. Yeah. I've got to imagine that out of all of our terrain and all of our climate here in Kentucky, the eastern Kentucky is probably a little bit harder on a deer. Is that safe to say? Or? I mean, I, I would think so. It just kind of depends. Uh, I, I just, there's more. There's. Uh, it seems like an easier place to live around the bluegrass region, maybe in western Kentucky. There's crops everywhere. Yeah. yeah, but crops doesn't I mean necessarily mm -hmm. relate to good hiding cover yeah, for farms. You know, um, plus you have a lot of agricultural activities. You have you know a lot more mowing. Yes, um, mm -hmm. you know all all the different crop fields. Um, yeah, bush a lot hogs. More in, in, uh, a lot more opportunity for negative human encounters like yeah. vehicle collisions. Um, you know, dense more densely populated. You could have you know yeah. dogs get into them. That's, that makes perfect sense because I was just strictly thinking of it from a terrain 
point of view. I'm, I'm sure right. they'd be happier to not climb up and down the stairs. Yeah, but at the same time, like, you, you, made, you made a good point with the, the farming because I, I mean, I have a buddy that farms thousands of acres, and I don't know how many he gets with the bush hog and how many he gets while he's harvesting wheat and the. I mean, cutting those first couple of uh, cuts of cuts of hay. You know, I mean, that I could see that to make it. A, yeah, and I'm not saying that it's you know it's going to be any. It's obviously not. Yeah, a but your study, to the population, your but, study I, was specific to Eastern yeah, Kentucky. Yeah, specific to Eastern so Kentucky. So it's yeah. also, you know, I'm just purely speculating. It's really hard. Obviously, the deer densities in Western Kentucky and Central Park State are much higher. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of why we looked at East Kentucky because they are so much lower as compared to the rest of the state. So uh, say, say one of those fawns dies, right? Mm-hmm. And you can tell it's died because of the, the radio signal you're getting, or you can tell it's not moving anymore. I guess that's what it does, right? You yeah. can tell it's just stationary. Yeah, it's got a. Um, um, a four-hour mortality signal. So pretty much, if it doesn't move within four hours, um, it'll it'll trigger and it'll let me know that it's going off. And then what do you do? Then I same thing as like I'm walking in to find the VIT. I'll use that radio, walk right up to it, and um, try to find the carcass or whatever remains may be there. And it's kind of like a little CSI. Oh boy! For wildlife, trying to figure out what you know if the animal died or maybe it was you know barbed wire pulled it yeah. off or. Or whatever it may be, and, and you know, if you find a carcass, you can, you can look uh, at the scene and kind of tell. Typically, um, what was there? I mean, you can see kind of consumption patterns. So it can tell you um, some things. You know, certain animals eat things differently. You can see dentition. Um, you know, on the animal, if you can, you can sometimes skin the fawn carcass and find you know actually where they were bitten, uh-huh. and you can find mm-hmm. bruising. You know, if obviously you find bruising on an animal, it means that injury occurred when it was alive. Yes. So you can kind of tell between like, you know, pre-mortem, post-mortem wounds, damage. Um, That's also look at blood. And I took forensics in college. If I was interested in. It. Did you ever take forensics in college? Because that would help with the mm-hmm. look of your job. But you're, the same stuff you're, you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Bruising has to be. You know, pre-mortem, and if it's had a, a wound that was bleeding, you know, it got it before it died, and it didn't wasn't something that came through there yeah. afterwards. Because once the heart quits pumping, that blood's going to quit flowing. So, yeah. anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's, no, it was cool. Okay. You got me off on a little tangent. It's pretty fun. Uh, I did enjoy that. It's always trying to <laughs> nice to find the, you know, find what what really happened there, and we'll take genetic samples too, just as kind of like another identifier. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe what would happen. You would take like saliva samples, so I would swab areas that were. Um, you know, where obviously like where that bruising was, where you knew there was a bite mark or uh-huh. something, and we would send those off to lab and and try to help kind of confirm our our uh, diagnosis. What did you find? It was killing them. Uh, there was coyote and bobcats in the in the events of predation. Yeah. You know, there were other things that killed them too, but coyotes and bobcats were were what. No, no mountain lions. No mountain lions. No confirmed <laughs> mountain lions on my deer fawns. And no black bear yeah. either. No um, chupacabras. No. no, no chupacabras. Rattlesnake bites. No, no. <laughs> that was a big one. No, we. Uh, I, I, you know, I kind of thought I'd see a bear because you know we saw them. We were working in Clay and Leslie County. You'd see them somewhat frequently, yeah. but um, never did find any bear induced mortalities. Maybe any post mortem bear marker because no, i mean you're getting there fairly quickly if it's mm-hmm. i mean most of the black bears are i mean they're omnivores but most of them are eat a pretty vegetarian diet mm-hmm. i mean they have meat on the side occasionally anything they eat a fawn anything <laughs> they, they fawn. can yeah they can get it i usually try to avoid eating the fawns but i like the older deer myself yeah oh well so <laughs> so that's what you do for for deer is there anything else like that so obviously this is the time of year you're getting ready to start going out and finding you're looking for cat or for for fawns if that's something you're doing this year yeah like i said we're not actively catching them right now okay. um 
that was a the, the deer project was part of my master's research that was a collaboration between uk and, and kdfwr um, that concludes in 2016 we're not really doing any more active capture at this time i said we're hoping to expand this in the next couple of years okay. look at some um, you know what we'd ideally like to look at some more elk stuff uh, update some of those model parameters look at other parts of the state for deer but it's just kind of a, a toss-up right now whether or not we can get it done so as far as deer because I, I mean that's some that's elk and deer related it sounds like i mean they're both the similar species so some of the same stuff goes into monitoring this time of year but a lot of what you a lot of your data that you used is, is harvest data and i would say especially for deer because the restrictions aren't necessarily there for deer hunters like they are for elk so you can probably get i mean i, I might be wrong here but better data from the harvest of deer yeah. just because the sample it seems like it'd be much more aligned with what's true what's going on yeah, out it's there. a much higher sample size yeah obviously help us a little bit so are any changes being made this year for deer um honestly there's been so much going on with elk that's uh that's i mean that's I'm a deer and elk program biologist. Yes. I predominantly do elk. I heard some um, rumors about maybe crossbow being expanded. Is that on the docket right now? It, it is. It's the third Saturday in September. Mm -hmm. and it's fully concurrent after that. So the uh, so it's our, made it through the regulatory process. Yeah, it's, so it's it, on that's the way. It's that's all good the way to go. Done, yeah. So it's so it's third Saturday in September through the end of regular Martin Luther King Day. Yeah, through just like the regular season. So that'd be the third Monday in January. Typically is yeah. what it falls on. So so if you're a strictly bow hunter, you got the first two weeks to of season all by yourself out there and after that and there have been a lot of push for that uh from people who i mean i guess it will open up the door and allow more people to get into it a little bit easier i mean it's i'm not going to say crossbow hunting is easy but it's probably easier to get the ball rolling for yourself than it is to go get a compound and try to practice and become good good enough for the compound to feel comfortable going in the woods with it right yeah, I never. Um, have, I've only crossbow hunted one time, and I didn't take anything. So I, I'm not necessarily an expert or somebody that can speak on that. I've done it very little, and it's a blast. Um, I actually I bought a crossbow for my father when yes. he was drawn for his elk hunt um, three years ago, uh -huh. and uh, that's what he used to successfully harvest his cow elk with. Because it's just something that he needed at the time, um, and I've used it ever since then. Uh, and it's it's a lot of fun it really is it's uh, fairly straightforward fairly easy to sight in um and it, and it provides better you know more opportunity for folks yeah well it's going to extend the season for some people mm -hmm. and, you know people will take advantage of it there might be more hunters in the woods for a longer duration of the year but i mean you look at zones one and zone two i mean part of the goal is to reduce those deer numbers so i mean it could potentially help with that and you know a point that was made to me because i when this first came about and people started talking about it i was like in my mind i was against it right and that was because i'm a bow hunter and i admittedly was being selfish right i was like i don't want all this going on more people out there and but then uh somebody said to me 97 percent of the state is private property and on private yeah. property you know it's not you can choose what is allowed on that property it's if you don't want to do it you don't have to do it if the landowner doesn't want it to happen they don't, i mean so really the that reg opens doors for people to do it if they choose to but nobody's being forced to and nobody's on that private property you can say whatever you want to on private property if you're the landowner so really it applies to public land and that's the only place that you know you don't have the option of who's out there doing what i mean in a way does that make sense at all yeah, I, I, no, didn't, I didn't necessarily articulate that perfectly but you know we set rules and regulations um you know for 
biological limitations, but really it's the landowners who are the ultimate deer managers here. Yeah, I mean, not like I said, I think I might be off on that 97% number. I think it's about 95, but you're mm -hmm. close. Either way, we have a ridiculous amount of private land. Yeah, and so that's it really, I mean, and you have, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Discretion. You have discretion on private land as far as what you want to do and how, how you want to allow people to do it, so... Lee, I know you had a piece coming out recently about the uh, striper down on Cumberland. Yes. And I know that I've heard good reports about them. I hate to jump off the topic, but this just jumped in my head because I was thinking about the picture I sent you. Mm-hmm. And that article's coming out. It, it went out Thursday. Well, somebody told me the other day that, you know, right now the stripers are really on on Cumberland. And mm-hmm. I've got this itch to take my kayak and go down there. Are they on on the lake or on the river? Do you know? No, on the lake. On the lake. That's tougher. I got a, yeah, I got a report from uh, the guy quoted in this, uh, the story, Jeff Bardroff, and uh, he has a little guide service on the side. And, yeah, the little guide service, he took me out twice yeah. last year, and we had a lot of fun. 20-pounder and 18-pounder over this past weekend. 34-incher for the 20 and uh, 32 on the 18. I'd take any of them. Anything over 30, I'm really happy. You know, I saw, like I said at the beginning, I saw Joe down there fishing the, the white bass on the Salt River. Uh, just a few weeks ago and i kept my first three limits of white bass this year and whatever crappie i could mix in there with them and i did not cook a single one i flayed them out and put them in freezer bags so i've got all this fish frozen but that species of fish and i'm talking striper Mm -hmm. i'm talking hybrid i'm talking white bass some of the tastiest fish mm-hmm. mixed in there. Get with that the, red meat out, though. A lot of people don't know that. No, it's it's easy to trim out. It's obvious. Yeah. I mean, you just trim that red meat out. And the reason for that, the way I understand it, that's where the impurities are stored, mm-hmm. right? So, which almost makes the rest of the meat better. Yes. Because you can specifically see where the impurities are and cut it out. Then you just got these perfect you cut flays. it out before you freeze it. A friend of mine didn't do that. Cut it out after frozen, and we had it one time, and... I'd put about a half inch of tartar sauce on top, take two bites, and swallow it all. So you're supposed to. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, he made this sumptuous dinner, and I didn't want to be, you know, rude. But Lord, it was terrible. Oh, the, I mean, it, it ruins it if it, get it out immediately. Uh, those oh. are some of my favorite species to eat, though. Along yeah, I, with, I totally agree. Oh, the saw, saw guy and walleye are really damn good too. Best. And that's why the Salt River was fun for us these past mm-hmm. few weeks. We know Joe obviously started turkey hunting. I kept going. Oh, actually, I haven't been since turkey season started. We uh, went a lot right before it started. I'm talking like five days a week probably we were down there. And people were tearing up the saga. The saga catches were almost as impressive as the white bass I catches. I tried. I just couldn't keep the white bass off. <laughs> that's, all that's, that's not a horrible problem. No, have, I'm not complaining. It's one of the best days I've had white bass. Oh, I went down there one I day. I counting to 30. I went down there one day and caught five saga, three mm-hmm. over 20 inches. And I mean, that was just, that fed me for two days right there. I saw Sloan and Rick both. I was out there when they caught those. Yeah, th- I was leaving. You were just coming in. Oh, yeah. Bam, bam. Sloan's been dying for a big tall <laughs> guy. And he finally caught one, and Rick caught one right after. Yeah, I was <laughs> hoping I caught one. That was my favorite thing to do. I'd send him a picture every year of the first saw guy. I'd get so mad. <laughs> and I him up. It was great. But for those people who don't, Sloan used, to, Sloan used to work here. He's a funny dude. He just mm-hmm. retired like a year ago. He's a he's a funny guy. Everybody around here liked him a lot, and he, he would joke and cut up with you. But he had been trying to target saw guy, and the joke was he just couldn't catch one. Everybody be catching them. Yeah, everybody. I, 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 I had a stringer, a big stringer, full of one night. I put a picture on Facebook or something, and Sloan. I think he came into the office the next day, even though he's retired. He's, You're dead to me, Chase. He's just <laughs> so mad. And uh, so, like Joe said, he would send him pictures of the saw guy he caught, and it was kind of a fun joke to play on some. But we were out there fishing after you guys left that day, and of course Sloan and Rick were out in the boat in front of us. We were on the bank. And I went and interviewed somebody, and when I came back over, Sloan holds up this saw guy, and it was just 
bliss on his face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, saw him, I saw him letting Rick net it for him. He was just yeah. happy. He was yeah. Yeah. shaking. His, he's like Rocky at the top of the steps, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. No, it was it was fun to see Sloan catch that saw guy. But if people haven't, I had people, a lot of people, I just said, I started three different sentences before I ever finished one. A lot of people don't realize that they're in there. I had a guy send me a picture of one on Facebook, and he was like, is this a walleye I caught in the Salt River? I was like, man, I'm, I'm pretty positive that's probably a saw guy. I don't think that there are walleye in the Salt River. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they get so big, and because they're a hybrid species, the markings can be mm-hmm. either which way. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, depending on which kind of water you pull them out of, they might not have the obvious saddles. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but they're just like eating a, a walleye, really. Mm-hmm. Tasty. Did you catch any this year? You said you did? Scott. I think you went mm-hmm. a little early. Because I, the couple of days that I knew you were there and a the couple of days that I saw you there, I didn't see people catching saw guy. It there was a week were, yeah. after that. There were a couple of folks getting on them um, fairly good while I was there. But, well, I say fairly good. They were catching very sporadically here and there. But I will say that's this. That's normally how I get mine. One of the mm-hmm. techniques that you were using is no good for saw guy. I saw you throwing a Popeye under a... Oh, it's no good for saw guy. Yeah. So you, when I, I was catching them, it's because I was making longer casts. Mm-hmm. I caught five that night and I went with Nathan Brooks and Nathan Sangster up here and they didn't catch any. And it's because I had a rod that was letting me cast out there further and I was getting the main channel. Yep. That's where you mm-hmm. had to get them. Yeah. That's where they are. Yeah. yeah. So if you aren't... And that's what, when Rick and Sloan were fishing for them, they were just trolling up and down the channel with their baits bouncing bottom. And the main channel there at the spring water is not very deep. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where I was catching my white bass, Sloan came by in the boat and he was kicking up his trouble motors, kicking up the bottom. So yeah. I mean, that was, was maybe three feet. I know? usually I usually get saw guy pretty good with uh, with grubs. Sometimes yeah. a couple mm-hmm. spinners. If you can find some structure, I've usually had some luck. Um, but normally it's in the big channel. From mm-hmm. the bank, it's risky to find structure. Mm-hmm. You know, because you uh, find it one way or another. Yeah, yeah you'll find it. If you can buy your lure. In a boat or a kayak or a canoe, if you find that structure, you can usually go out there and get yourself loose. But from the bank, if you find structure, you're either going swimming or you're breaking off and retying most of the time. But yeah, it's a it's a good opportunity. I don't know what this recent rain did to it. If it would be blown out right now, or there's no gauges on the headwaters, are there? No, at Glensboro. Is there a gauge of Glensboro? Yeah, Salt River, Glensboro. Well, that's not too far. The up. one I saw, I thought the ones, the main ones, are down by the dams. I'm sure the, the they are, dam but there is one at Glensboro. So kind of gives you an idea. What what uh, what website would that be? Louisville. Um, USGS. Yeah. Well, Waters. USGS would have the one for Glensboro. I'm talking mm-hmm. about the dam. Is that army? It's an army. Oh, dam. the yeah. dam. Yes, the, the Daily Lake Report from Louisville. Just type in Louisville District Daily Lake Report, and it'll bring it up. Because I would like to go down there in the spillway and catch fish here soon too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a fun time of year to do that if the water's not rushing out of it too awfully hard. So, um, something to think about. While it hit my mind, a little birdie told me too. Forty-inch uh, striper caught the other night on top water. Oh, really? So and the forty-inch or thirty-six is trophy. So forty is. Very, very nice one. So I had somebody message me on Facebook the other day um, and say, hey, just so you know, the L-Wives are hitting. Up, yeah. uh, he said they're up in the creeks, not on the main lakes. He said up in the creeks. That, and he said that they had gone and he told me what they had caught the last two nights in a row. So that's a really fun way to do it. If, if somebody out there isn't familiar with it, the L-Wives, which is actually an invasive species, mm-hmm. right? And the shad did it before then. Yeah. Well, the shad, it's a shad species. It's basically a bait fish species. And this time of year, they go up and they spawn, and they get up right up on the banks to spawn at night. And those stripers will come up and follow them up, and then you'll just hear like a bloop, like a, a big splash or like a gulping sound. And it's those stripers coming up to eat those L-wives, and they will gather in the masses up there. So what you can do is take a topwater bait mm-hmm. or a, 
What are some other? The Join the Thunderstick is really good. Yeah, Thunderstick. So it was a red fan, Cordell red fan. Yeah, red. Yeah, those are two baits that I was mm-hmm. told to buy. And then sometimes if if it's a, a brighter night, they won't come all the way to the top, and you can throw a pile of sliver, which doesn't sink real deep and kind of in the same area. So. Yeah. So you're fishing shallow for these huge fish, and when they hit, it's just like game on. Mm-hmm. That'd be that's something fun. I did. I went oh, down there and did that two years it, ago. It, you, I, I said in the column, hold on tight, because man, they'll jerk the rod right out of your hands when they hit. Yeah. They they mean it at night. It's Great. Well, casting for striper is about fun, fun, fun. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to beat casting for striper, casting for muskie. Those are probably in the state of Kentucky the two best fish to go out there and cast for. Because a lot of times when you're catching big fish like striper, you're trolling planer boards. Mm-hmm. When you're catching these huge catfish, you're usually sitting a bobber, sitting mm-hmm. the bottom, and just kind of sitting and waiting to see your rod go down. But when you've got that rod in your hand and it hits, and you go to set that hook, I mean That's it's just. Great. Yeah, I kind of want to go fishing now. Mm-hmm. I have been doing a lot of fishing here lately, but mostly farm pond, mostly creeks. I haven't been out on any big lakes or rivers yet. Farm pond doing any good yet? Oh, man, I've been catching the bluegill left and right, and one, yeah. you know, ten inch to fourteen inch bass just every other cast. But I haven't caught. I mean, it was like a one month period last year where I caught some really good bass, and that just hasn't happened yet. I have a, I have laid my eyes on a, probably a thirty pound carp in there that I'd like to get hooked up with. I've never like I've I've never really targeted carp or I've snagged a few carp on accident, but I've caught a few out of the creeks. But I think targeting carp could be a lot of fun. I mean, I know they're kind of trash fish. Most people don't like them, but carp are the most popular sport fish in the entire world. Yeah, they yeah, are. Yeah, a lot. Of, I mean, it's like in England, you ever see those shows? Oh, that's a nice bream. They come here, you ever seen that? They they uh, take those balls of bait and you know. Chum the area, and then they throw the ball in there with those big long rods. Yeah, I actually caught them on cicadas before. Cicadas. Well, I know they use stuff like that because a lot of people who mm-hmm. fly fish for them use a beetle type. Yeah. yeah. The closest I've gotten to targeting them and trying to catch them, now all these carp in this, this isn't this isn't even going to sound sporting or anything. But there was uh, I was on a golf course farm pond, right? It had all these huge carp in it, and I mean you could see the carp swimming around out there. And I tried to catch them. I tried to catch them on that doe ball carp bait. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing was interested. And I might have told the story before, but there was uh, like stray cats nearby the golf course, and this somebody had been putting out a bunch of cat food on the ground. So I went and I stuffed my pockets full of that cat food that somebody put out there. And I went back up there and I threw a bunch of handfuls of cat food out there in that pond, and then I just put, you know, four pieces of it on my little bitty hook and mm-hmm. tossed it out there. And I literally watched this happen until I was out of cat food. Those carp come up and eat every piece of cat food off the top except for the one with the hook in. <laughs> I don't know why, but they could just tell that there was a hook in that one piece of one thing. They wouldn't eat it. So I literally, I got, I, my pockets were full of cat food. That's humbling, fooled by carp. That's pretty humbling. Oh, it's ridiculous. Caught turtles. I would sit there and be waiting for this carp, and I mean, he would come up, and it looked like he was about to grab that piece of cat food with a hook in it, and he'd just turn it the last second and go away. The turtles would come up there and eat it, so I had to get several turtles off the hook. Oh, that'd be fun. No, anyway, like, like I said, so they're the most popular sport fish species in the world. And around here, you wouldn't think it. But, like, I approve those YouTube comments every day. And we have a lot of carp videos, mostly related to well, Asian there's, carp there's on YouTube. There's a burgeoning uh, tournament thing for them. A friend of mine's really into it. My God, they're, they're like three days worth of baits, like 1200 bucks or something. That's somebody. ridiculous. I mean, it's, it, it's using that chum, and then you, you, you're assigned an area. Yeah. 
and then you have to chum it and, th- and hopefully you get one that's good structure and they catch mirror carp and oh, mirror carp. carp. They must be on Del Hollow. Yeah, well, the, the, he goes around the country. He's done it in Texas. He's done it in Oklahoma. He's done it all. Over. Well, I was gonna, I mean, he's really, really into it. So I approve those YouTube comments every morning, and there's always comments from people in other countries talking about, you dumb Americans, you don't know, I'm talking about we don't appreciate the carp enough because I'm of these sorry, crazy but we don't. They're not supposed to be here anyway. So. A, a lot of fly fishermen <laughs> like to fish for them, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like if I well, was... they a, pull like crazy. Yeah, it'd be mm-hmm. pulling in a 15-pound carp on a fly rod. It would, would be, be a ball. Yeah, it would. Oh, well. Anyway, so let me see. I want to look at my notes real quick here. All right, bass fishing. I said I saw Joe there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So you just got a new fishing rod today, Lee. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yes, I did. Last time I was with Joe, I saw him lose a fishing rod. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, half of one. He lost a half of a fishing rod. My youth rod. fisherman got me. <laughs> it was so funny, Lee. I think enough times passed that I can tell the story and, and make fun of Joe a little bit without him getting too mad. But that day, Joe was steaming. He was he was red in the face for about 10 minutes. But what happened was I was fishing about, you know, Joe was probably 30 feet to my left or so. And we were kind of talking while we were fishing and catching these bass. And Joe was catching some fish. And this youth fisherman that was with Joe, so he knew the kid, came we up. We took him and, turkey hunting that morning. He took him turkey hunting that morning. But he, he came up, and he saw Joe catching these fish, so he kind of comes over there and starts crowding Joe's spot, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Joe goes to make a cast. Now, I'm not sure if you hit him with a pole or what. I got it. Yeah, he, he got all all jacked up. <laughs> <laughs> Joe hit him with the pole. I look over the last second. I hear the snap, and Joe's just standing there with half a fishing rod in his hand. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. He was trying to hoard it on my spot. <laughs> He'd come in behind me on my back cast, shattered my pole. And so Joe just sat there for about three minutes, just staring out into the river, just standing there holding half his pole, just staring out there. And I had to go hide behind a tree to, to keep him from seeing me laughing because I was over there just cracking up like silently. And because uh, I mean, it's funny, you can laugh at other people's misfortunes sometimes. Yeah, like. yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of stuck because I was absolutely burned to fish up, mm-hmm. and then I had to sit there while the rest of everybody caught fish. And they were using your fishing poles, too, I'm sure. Yeah, so they were using a, my fishing poles. A new rod, correct? It was. I usually buy a couple. I did buy that one for the wife, but she doesn't need to know that. Then, you know, I broke her a new one. <laughs> Letting so, her little cousin and his buddy use it. That's funny. Yeah. That's a, it's a good thing. You know, if you're taking youth fishermen out to experience new things, have a couple cheap ultralights that you don't care too much about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I was using my wife's new pole because I didn't expect one of them to break this one. Yeah, it's <laughs> they hard. still found a way to get it's me. It's a bad way you're using the pole that somebody else, out of safety, you're like, all right, this is good rod. I'm going to take good care of this, and then somebody else still manages to break it somehow. Yeah, but it was. I mean, it was, it was funny, man. But these boys had fun though. They uh, they caught fish. They though. had never white bass fish before. Um, when we do those youth turkey hunts in the spring, we used to try to make a day of it. So this was youth turkey weekend. Yeah, because you and him had gone out turkey hunting that morning. Yeah. Well, me and my my wife's little cousin. This boy was um, a youth that my my dad got it. Okay, but we so, always take them turkey hunting, then we try and take them fishing experience. Well, that's a fun day, things. man. Yeah. That's a really fun day. And I know that you told me that you guys didn't get a bird, but you had some action. Yeah. Uh, little cousin missed one at maybe 15 yards. Hey, and the other boy had one at um, had one at about 50. He just didn't want to. He just wouldn't come in the last yeah. few feet. Say so somewhere that's kind of the tough spot. 15 is a little bit tough, and 50 is tough. Yeah. You want them in between. 20, I'd rather 20, shoot one at 40 than yeah. 15 any day mm-hmm. of the give week. Me, give me 30 yards, 35 yards, and but 15. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that video of those guys reaping that turkey? It's a lot of fun. Have you? But there's a video that I just recently saw. 
I mean, this guy, this turkey gets so close when he pops up with the shotgun to take the shot. He literally has to pull his barrel back because it's it's extending past the turkey's head. So he's trying to shoot this turkey at three inches. I mean, it's like trying to shoot him with a rifle there. Mm-hmm. He completely misses shot all three shots out. I mean, I, I've been wanting to go turkey reaping. And I think that, you know, since I kind of committed myself to trying to get one with a bow, that's how I could get out of it. Is I could be like, well, I'm already experiencing something new. I think you could do it with the bow, though. Oh, come on, Joe. I want to have success here. It's so tough. <laughs> you already got one. You got the monkey off your back. That's where I'm at. Once I got one, yeah. I, can, I can calm down. Gravy from there. I, I guarantee you that this is going to sound bad, but if I hadn't gotten one opening morning, I would have been back out since then. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of that monkey off the back. I got it. And now, you know, it kind of seems like I, I feel confident. I could go back out there and get another one, so I'm not necessarily rushing to do it. But I know as soon as I get that mentality and I go back out there, I'm just going to be struggling. Fail, fail, fail. It's just like the guy says, I've never missed a turkey in my life. If, buddy, you're I've done that. Well, we're going to slay him today. That's oh, a kiss of death. Yeah. <laughs> Until you actually fishing. start slaying him, keep your mouth shut. Yeah, that's yeah. when you kick that guy out the truck. We went fishing with... Uh, uh, WDRB the other day, Jude Redfield, the hmm. me- meteorologist for, I guess it's Fox 41 in Louisville. We went and fished with him and Chad, and the, the kind of the point behind the story was how weather affects fishing. Mm-hmm. And it was funny. Uh, yeah, is, that, is that Taylorsville? Yeah, we went to yeah, Taylorsville. We wanted to go to the river, but it was too blown out. So we pull up, and Chino Ross is our guide, and I guess the cameraman for the Fox crew, they sent a cameraman also to shoot some promos. And he, you know, he was putting his man in his pocket right before we got going on the boat. And he, and somebody said, oh, it should be a great day out there. And I was like, kiss of death, kiss of death. Like, just everything you guys are saying and doing right now is wrong. And yes. it is 100% from a superstition standpoint. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause it was, I, was it the kiss of death? Well, we caught him. That's right. We are crappie That's fishing. Right. Crappie fishing. We ended up catching bluegill, white crappie, black crappie, White bass and largemouth. So, I mean, we caught plenty of fish, mm-hmm. but it's not like we necessarily took home two limits of 10-inch crappie or better. Mm-hmm. I think I took, I ended up taking home four crappie that day, cooked them up, ate them. So, it was a good day. Anyway, you guys got anything you want to add? I'm, I'm Speaking of crappie, okay, okay. Um, I just got back from Green River Lake. Uh, that cold front came through, and they had a major national tournament Saturday. And y'all remember, it was cold. Uh, high in the 40s, raining. I thought, well, they're not going to catch a thing. And they have one of the more impressive strings of the circuits, what I heard from Green River. So um, the cold rain did affect some of the headwater areas, so it kind of knocked them back. But I'd say, I mean, we caught them. I caught some beauties. I caught uh, three over 12 inches and, you know, didn't have a great numbers, but size was fantastic. And I'm getting to the age where I'd rather catch, you know, one 12 incher than four eight inchers. You know, I just. Um, one twelve and four eight. Yeah, no, you can eat one twelve. You can't eat four eight. But I'd rather just catch one good fish than a handful of small fish. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, and they were shallow, and their coloration uh, indicated they've been shallow. And I'd say with this weather right here, by this weekend, they should just be all the way up. So when you're saying their coloration, you're talking uh, they about they were dark. Yeah, they were marked up real well. Yeah, marked up and dark. And and usually if they've been out in deep water, they, the fish tend to be whitish. But when they've been up shallow for a while, they'll they'll darken up and bar up. And uh, they the biggest ones were black crappie. They were beautiful. So, so here's how we'll close this out. Unless you got anything else on there, you good? So I would say if you're heading toward Green River, the next two weeks will be peak. Look Green peak. River, pretty much all of our spring fishing kayakable waterways should mm-hmm. be should be getting good. Joe, you got anything else? 
remember to put in for the elk draw if it's something that you want to do this year and i would encourage all of you to take a youth or a new person turkey hunting or fishing yes i've spent a lot of my time doing that this spring uh, even though the boy was unsuccessful, he had a good time. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Took his sister the next day, 11-year-old, she killed Tom. Good. All right. Um, a lot of new people fishing this year. Incredibly rewarding. I would encourage everybody to try that if you can. Yeah, I would say as far as that goes, you got a week left to put in for the elk draw, roughly. Is this a 30-day month? Yeah, you got the 30th. So, today's 23rd. So you got about one week left to put in. So you can do that up until, I think, midnight of the last day of April. The draw will be somewhere in mid-May. Usually it's like the 15th or the something. Fifth, the 15th, the results will be posted online. Yep. And um, as far as taking a new person fishing, just to hit on what you said, I think that creeks are a great place to go. You can mm-hmm. go to Floyd's Fork. You can go to Elkhorn. You can go, I mean, there's a creek. There's creeks everywhere. Mm-hmm. But the creeks are a place where even if you're not catching fish, and you probably will catch fish, that there's so much other stuff for the kids to see and do, especially if the weather's nice, that they're going to have a good time no matter what. Mm-hmm. And mid-April through about mid-June is creek heaven time. Don't yeah. you think? Well, it's oh, yeah. not just, May is just I know awesome. that you've got your fancy waders and all that stuff. I like to get out there and exactly what I'm wearing right now, except for shoes I don't care about. And I will just swim with the fish while I catch them. And it's it's a blast. Mm-hmm. I mean, as long well, as the weather's I'm old, I'm old and get cold, <laughs> so I'll wear waders and you can, you can you know, yeah, well, have that, those youthful endeavors to yourself. Well, it's really <laughs> enjoying that is just an excuse for being cheap because yeah. they're interchangeable. Okay? It's like, I really enjoy this well, because I don't want to spend I tore my waders up, gave them to Jameson on the TV crew, and then I had a backup pair that I used for hunting. I was like, man, these are going to work great. So yeah. I um, planned to milk. I mean, I milked. 11 years out of those original breathable waders. It's a long time, believe me. They have been rode hard and put up wet. So here's here's what I'll say. As far as we were talking about fish to eat earlier, we talked about crappie and sawguy and all of my three favorite fish species to cook and eat in the state are crappie, sawguy, and striper. Okay? And I mean, walleye you could throw in there too, but just those species, right? You know, one way I like to do it, I like my little pan fish, like my white bass and my crappie and stuff like that. I'll just batter them up, put them in a bag full of some seasoning pepper salt pepper flour whatever you want and then just fry them up right but with the striper and the saw guy i like to blacken them Mm. and you just put salt pepper just a little bit of seasoning not a whole lot on there and turn the heat up kind of high Mm -hmm. and um just put the smallest little bit of butter or oil or something in there and you just want to put them oh they're great it's like three and and a half minutes Mm -hmm. aside just let it you know, it almost sears that side. You just kind of splash the oil around on it. So it's not like it's cooking in oil. It's not frying. It's literally almost baking that fish in the middle and on the edges. It gets nice and crispy. And oh, that's my favorite way to do it. So you can probably find better instructions on Google. But look into blackening fish because no. it's a good way to do it. And a lot healthier, too. It's not, not deep fried and not battered. But yeah, I like to not think about the health aspect of it because I like my fish fried, too. Yeah, well, Normally, I'm too. doing quite a bit of walking to yes. catch the fish. So, so that's how I justify, justify eating the fried. I like my fish deep fried and then uh, chocolate dipped. Is that oh, like? I've never had tried that. Yeah, not me. <laughs> I would try it. <laughs> I, would, I would try one, yeah. Uh, actually, I got a notification on Facebook two days ago or something like that. A year ago today, it said, I mean, it was a memory of me and Rachel Kroom eating uh, coyote backstraps. So if, I'm, if, I, if I'll eat a coyote backstrap, I will eat chocolate yeah, dip yeah, fish. Yeah, chocolate dip fish, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I'm going to turn it off. I appreciate you coming on. Yep, thanks.